0: My mother and I watched the general election results together. She was not at all politically minded, but she breathed heavily during the announcement of Labour victories. At one moment, she tapped me on my arm with a banana and asked, Which seats were those? Do you remember? Finally, after we had watched the Prime Minister's triumphant arrival at his constituency, she said, I'm not really depressed by what's going to happen to our family. But what will happen to the nation? My father wandered about the house smoking a cigar. He wore corduroy trousers, a flannel shirt sagging at the neck, and a tweed jacket with a long slit up the back. He did not possess a single lightweight pair of trousers, a single lightweight shirt, pair of pants, or pajamas. Everything he wore was thick, heavy, and kept in mothballs when he wasn't wearing it. A born pessimist. Who always expected the worst to happen, he was not in the least upset by the election results. He wandered around the house much as on any other night. Hello, hello, this is clever, he said to himself in a loud voice, and then, Now, what are these things doing here? Again and again, my father went downstairs to turn off lights, lock doors, get a glass of beer, or check that I had not been downstairs and turn the lights on again. From my bedroom, I could hear his tread on the staircase, the change clinking in his pocket. Now he was pausing outside my door, breathing heavily through his nose. Now he was downstairs again, wrenching open an ill-fitting drawer and fumbling with an outer door. Soon I heard footsteps on the paving stones below my window. A few minutes later, he entered my darkened bedroom. It's 29 degrees outside. Three degrees of frost, he said solemnly. Life at home always remained on this level. Sometimes, the big event of the week was the arrival of the dog's meat, held aloft by the pet shop man. The kitchen was the principal room. Several generations of dogs lay there in different positions, sometimes hammering their tails against a chair or screwing up their eyes as they pressed against each other's sides. On the mantelpiece... A cheap kitchen clock ticked extremely fast, while on the aga, a large kettle would hiss and rumble slowly up to boiling point. My mother would curse the vegetable she was trying to cook. Go on, potatoes, boil! My father often sat nattering at the kitchen table, a crumpled newspaper in reading position on his lap. Sometimes he attempted to tap dance on the cracked linoleum floor. Once he had slipped on something, looked down angrily to see what it was, and couldn't help smiling when he found it was a banana skin. At other times, my father withdrew to his study, sat in a low armchair permanently imprinted with his shape, and read a railway guide. He was not usually planning to go anywhere, but railways were one of his abiding interests. He turned the pages slowly, and though he absorbed much of what was on them, He could not prevent himself from also studying the hand that held the book. He clenched it, breathed heavily, then straightened it out like a flipper, as if he was trying to read his own palm. Sooner or later, he would move over to the massive, old-fashioned filing cabinet. The prominent position which this occupied, its dilapidated state and bursting compartments, reflected the amount of time and trouble my father took over family affairs. From time to time, over the years, I had opened it and found early drafts of his will, affectionate letters he and my mother had exchanged at the time of their engagement, files on each of his children, the house, the garden, and other aspects of domestic life. Many of his papers were jotted with extra thoughts, points no longer applicable struck through, and other explanatory notes. We had lived in this house for about twelve years. It was a plain Victorian villa, eight miles out of Bath onto which a bogus Georgian wing had been added, set in a sloping garden dotted with pine trees and evergreen shrubs in which woodpigeons occasionally sat hooting. My mother had done her best to create ordinary herbaceous borders and a large kitchen garden, but the pretentiousness of the original layout had proved impossible to eradicate. Indoors, the house was an equally uneasy mixture of small rooms, narrow staircases lit by porthole windows, carpeted in a wide variety of different ways and filled with big mahogany furniture, much of which had passed through four or five generations of my father's family. The house was very uncomfortable. The heating system made a great deal of noise but provided little warmth. Beds wobbled and were mysteriously damp. Coat hangers rattled from hooks on the backs of doors. Clocks were unwound. Telephone mouthpieces were speckled with the food my father had spat into them. The house grated on my young sensibilities, but my father seemed oblivious to things that would jar normal feelings. His bedside lamp was without a shade. He and my mother had occupied separate bedrooms for as long as I could remember. The hot water never came to his bathroom, and his medicine cabinet, crammed with sticky tubes of ointment, cod liver oil pills, and other old-fashioned preventatives, hung off the wall at an odd angle. His bedroom was carpeted with a thick blue Wilton, bought in a London house sale many years earlier. But his bed itself had two mattresses, which built it up to a disproportionate height, and beneath it sat a large chamber pot. My father was continually finding new ways to savage his surroundings.